Yeah, so uh, our thoughts aren't necessarily all ours, you know. Our thoughts are rooted in our conscious, our subconscious, and in our unconscious, right? And so um, a lot of these things have been formulated over years of our experiences in this world, you know. You have your familiar experience in the home, the family. You also have the environmental. You also have education. You also have religion. You, also, you know, you have a lot of different mm -hmm. systems that influence a person personality and their perception of the world and so when you count when you when you put into account all these different things man you know now you're thinking this person has a lot of influence to create who they are and so just by breakdown right 50 to 70 percent of our personality is given to us just by our genetics right mm -hmm. just by genetics thanks mom and dad not to say that they can't be altered your personality can't be altered but a lot of who we are are just given to us by our parents we don't ask for it it's just what's mm -hmm. given to us right and then the 30 to 50% that's left, that's environmental, that's education, that's social, that's, you know, that's all these other factors that play a role into creating our personality, which creates our own perception and um, our own perception and an interaction with the outside world. So as a man thinketh, right? As a man thinketh, so he becomes, so he becomes right? And so we have to now listen to some of the inner dialogue that are unhealthy and healthy to make sure that it's in tune with the direction that we'd like to go. So if I believe that I want to be X place in five years, then what are my thoughts telling me about what the direction is I have to go, right? If the thoughts are healthy, then I may want to, you know, stay in that route. If the thoughts are like doubting, then I may want to create more thoughts that are self-affirming to create that pathway towards that. If the thoughts are negative, now I have to reframe my thinking which will then impact my emotions, which will then impact my actions towards whatever destination I'd like to get to. Does that make sense? Yeah. How's it going, powerful people? My name is Edouard Gilles, and I wanna thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Unlimited Power Show. If you don't know what the Unlimited Power Show is all about, it's all about how do you solidify a holistic approach towards your life. And the way we do that is by bringing people who have a passion about health, wellness, finance, fitness. It ranges from all different subjects. So before we even talk about mental health, I would like to introduce you to Matthew Jane. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Ed. Thank you for it's being a pleasure, on the show. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure to be here. Thank you. It, it's always a pleasure like to sit down, have these talks, impact somebody around the world, especially we're Islanders. Yes, know? sir. <laughs> like, you know, you're gonna give us an introduction. So of course. why don't you tell us what you're all about, what you're passionate about? Sure. All right, so my name is Matthew Jean. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've been in the field for about 10 years now. Uh, before I started my private practice, I worked in recovery, uh, which is addiction, treatment addiction and so forth. And um, about three years ago, I decided to go into private practice because I felt like I wanted to do more for the urban community, the black communities, minority communities of South Florida. And so I started my private practice, Beachstone Counseling, which specializes in black male issues. I also uh, um, make room at my practice to make sure I address uh, entertainment and sports as well, meaning seeing athletes and entertainers as well, making sure that they can be seen. And um, I also have a second business that I have called Sober Words, where I fight uh, stigma associated with substance use because I've worked in substance use. It's also, it's also a passion of mine to make sure that uh, conversations are being had in regular spaces, public spaces, in our homes, in our communities about substance use to create safety for those that are suffering and their family members so that they will feel safe enough to speak up about their issues and get help. And so uh, I also do a lot of talks in the community as it relates to mental health issue, fatherhood, blackmail issues, substance use, you name it, you know, uh, as it relates to mental health, I'm there. So I've been to multiple events around the Miami, Florida area about mental health. And it seems like some of them, have, I've seen you a lot. You, <laughs> you, are you activists, would you say, for mental health? Man, you know, I've never been called that before. You know, I, I just, I would like to think that um, I just want to utilize whatever platform I have. And if that's what an activist does, then I, I would say, yeah, sure. You know, I, I want to make sure that mental health isn't a topic that 
uh, is reactive. You know, like we wait until something happens and then mental health, mental health. You know, I want to make sure that we can have a conversation about mental health at McDonald's, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I don't go to, by the way. But, you know, but I want to make sure that mental health is, uh, you know, a subject that we can have over the dining room table, you know, during Thanksgiving, you know, watching Monday night football, you know, or out with the fellas. You know, I want to make sure that this is a topic that we don't wait until something happens to start talking about it, that it's a conversation that we can have anywhere with anyone without having the stigma associated with it. Uh, cloud the person's judgment or cloud the person's uh, perception of themselves or the other person that is trying to have that conversation. When was the first time you heard of this phrase, mental health? Wow, so uh, you're taking me to a throwback now. Um, I grew up in Miami and I went to a public school in Miami called Miami Central. And at that school, I, I was taking a course called Law Studies. And in that course, we had to do mock trials where they set up a class like a courtroom and each person plays a role and we've discussed law and how, uh, you know, how, how the courts actually work. And so we had a trial that was, um, that was given to us where a lady murdered her husband, right? And interesting already, I'm like, okay, you got my attention. Yeah. And so we had to randomly select characters out of a hat, which our teacher, um, uh, you know, provided for us. And I picked the role of a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist was on the defense side to defend the, 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 uh, the woman who murdered her husband. And so with each character, you have to study the character's uh, notes. You have to study what the character does. You have to study you know, the case to make sure that you're able to uh, provide adamant support to that character when you're on the stand. And so it was my job to, to, you know, to do my research. And in the documents they gave us, I came across the terminology learned helplessness. And that's a psychological term that was coined by a researcher called Pavlov, you know, and a lot of people heard of Pavlov, even if they haven't studied psychology. He's uh, the founder of classical conditioning. And um, and when I did more digging on what learned helplessness is, because it doesn't sound like two words that belong together. How do you learn how to be helpless? And so when I did more research and more digging, I found out that the research was done on, on dogs where he would put dogs in a, a three foot, you know, three by three cage where they can easily jump out and he would uh, give them a mild shock, right? Naturally, the dog would jump out of the cage, put the dog back in the cage, and he would do that enough to where he would deem that a normal reaction. And then the second phase of the experiment was that he would tether the dog. You put a collar on the dog and uh, tether the dog to the cage to where if the dog attempted to jump out, it would get pulled back down. And so, he would shock the dog as the dog is tethered, the dog would still attempt to get out, but of course it'd be, get pulled back down. He would shock the dog enough to where that's the normal response, try to jump out and get pulled back down. Now, he continued to shock the dog until the dog wouldn't even attempt to jump out because the dog is now aware, if I try to jump out, I'm gonna, only gonna get pulled back down. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after he deemed that as a new normal behavior, uh, besides from the dog jumping out, the new normal was now I'm gonna stay in the cage without attempted to jump out, uh, Pavlov took the collar off the dog, shocked the dog, and the dog did not attempt to jump out. The dog had, a, had now learned how to live or cope in a helpless situation. So the dog accepted the burden of being shocked in this cage as its new reality and did not make any attempts to leave, right? And so that was kind of what the woman was going through in that case. She was being uh, verbally, physically, and emotionally abused by her husband and had accepted that reality as her normal. And so there was a part of what she was dealing with that allowed her to escape the mind frame of learned helplessness to where she was in a psychosis state, meaning she was not in her right frame of mind when she committed the murder. And so I was just fascinated by the whole idea of how people think and how people think affect how they feel and how people feel uh, impact their behavior. And so that's when I started to learn about uh, mental health and psychology and so forth. And I furthered my study studying psychology in undergrad and further studying family therapy in graduate school. Mm, that's awesome. Long story, I know. <laughs> no, no, that's a, that's a great story. I actually love that, that you brought that up. We're going to talk about that. So, I mean, you're a black male. You're going, right. into, you're going into the branch of therapy and right. talking to people. Yeah. How did people respond to that? Oh, man. Oh, man. Do you, do you want the short version? Uh, Because here are a couple of things. First of all, I I present myself 
um, as as is. And so, so sometimes I'm like this in my in my office, mm-hmm. and sometimes I may be in shirt and tie. Sometimes I may be in shorts because the South Florida is hot down here, yeah. right? And so I present as is. And I remember when I first started out uh, as an intern at a facility in West Palm Beach, I had a client that walked in, excuse me, and they saw me and I, I, I look young, right? And so the lady said to me that, my son, you know, you, you look the same age as my son, right? And I, my response to her, well, do you think I can still help you? She's like, I'm not sure. And then she, so she walked out, you know, that's one, right? Because of the youth. And then uh, there's the factor of race, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't ignore that, you know? And so I have had clients, same thing when I was an intern, that walked in and I had a client, a Caucasian male came in, you know, this is West Palm Beach. He's from like, uh, um, Green Acres in West Palm Beach, little rural area. West Palm, you know, still had, still have a few dirt roads back there. Mm-hmm. And so when he walked into my office, he said, "Man, I, you know, I just want you to know right off the top, I don't like you, right?" And I'm like, "What? What? 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 Right?" So right. no, I'm not taking that person. Right. And so uh, I, I asked him, say, "Well, why?" And he said, "Well, I don't like anyone." And you know, and his excuse was that he he just doesn't like people. Right. It wasn't just about me being black. Oh. He just doesn't like people. And I'm like, sure, that's fine. Do you think I can help you? That's always the question. Do you feel that I can help you? If, I, if you feel that I can help you, let's work out what you came here for and let me help you. You know, I wouldn't be in this position if I wasn't capable, qualified, and able to assist you. you know? And so he decided to let me help him. And at the end of the session, at the end of our time together, this guy gave me a great bear hug, a big old bear hug, because he was happy that he took the chance on letting me help him. Help him. And then, uh, you know, there are other times when I, I know that I'm qualified, but like I said, sometimes I present like this. I'm on panels with judges, attorneys, police officers, and I do discussions for different cities around West Palm, you know, and Dade and Broward. And sometimes I'm like this, and when they see me, the, you know, the, the perception is, who is this guy, and, and what is he gonna do? And, you know, so they start to disqualify me based on what I, how I present or how I look, and so I, I do that organically because this is who I am, but I'm also breaking stereotypes because I think there's a perception of what a therapist looks like, even for myself, you know? You picture a therapist, older guy, gray hair, glasses, sweater vest, you know? That's, that's from media. Right? And so, and so I want to break that stereotype. And, so, um, and I think I, I've, I've done a great job in doing that by providing uh, mental health in different packages, you know? I, I present differently, that's one package. Uh, but I also uh, have social media that I present differently as well. And I try to find as many different forms to have mental health conversations in ways that aren't traditional, you know. So hope I answered that question. No, that was, that was great. Yeah. You said something that when the patients have a doubt, you ask them, do you think I can help you? Right. Do you think there's a strong correlation? I'm asking you the same questions you right. asked them. Do you think there's a strong correlation between them thinking you can help them and them thinking that there is, there's a, something that can help them? Uh, I believe so. I believe, I asked the question because their faith in the process assists them in feeling comfort in the process, which also helps build the alliance we need to get the work done. You know, like I can't help a person that don't believe I can help them because we don't have an alliance, you know? And if that alliance is in there, which is one of the things that have been studied to find the, the strongest correlation between a person getting help and uh, getting the help that they need is the alliance between that person and the clinician. It's not necessarily the theory they're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not necessarily the level of education, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily their race, it's the alliance. And we form alliances by trust, by being vulnerable, by creating safe spaces and so I ask the person, do you feel I can help? Because if they do, then we're starting to build that bridge between that person and I to formulate an alliance that could potentially help that person deal with whatever issue they're presenting. That's interesting. That's also the same thing with energy or vibes, yes. positive vibes. Yeah. You know, if you walk into a room and you're like, then it's like, I don't really want to talk to you. Great, great that you said that. So uh, you, I don't know if you've actually seen my office. I don't know if you have, well, I got to show it to you, but. Uh, with that in mind, right, even my office, which is, you know, Beachstone Counseling, where I practice privately, uh, I, I made sure intentionally that I created a space that has a vibe, 
you know, it's Beachstone Counseling. So when you walk in, there's already an aura in there that welcomes you with the colors, with the fabrics, with the aroma, with the lights, you know, with everything. Everything is intentional from the artwork on the wall to the carpet on the floor mm -hmm. to the accent colors on, you know, everything is intentional to create an atmosphere where people can drop their anxiety just a little bit and feel more at ease to address whatever they're there for. So how do we create that same environment within our minds, within our lives, to have mental health uh, wellness or right. balance within our own mental right. health? Yeah, yeah. We, we create that by having dialogue, you know. And dialogues are, you know, conversations just like you and I are having. But sometimes we have to uh, be, create dialogues by having awareness, you know. And so the dialogue that we have internally is asking questions to ourselves about our own mental and emotional state. You know, how do I feel right now? How do I feel today, right? How did I feel last week? What was going on in my mind? What was going on with my emotions? Even what's going on with myself physically? Because all these things impact the person's mental and emotional state. So if you are aware of these various states of, mm -hmm. of, of, of your emotional, your mental, your physical states, then you are creating a dialogue to have safety within yourself to know whether or how you need to adjust as it relates to your mental, your emotional, and your physical health. Mm. So, I mean, with that same awareness, if you step back enough, right. you start to realize your thoughts itself can be misleading. Oh, man. Yeah, all the time, you know? Tell us about those yeah. thoughts and yeah. what thoughts should we trust and which ones should we not trust? Yeah, so uh, our thoughts aren't necessarily all ours, you know? Our thoughts are rooted in our conscious, our subconscious, and in our unconscious, right? And so um, a lot of these things have been formulated over years of our experiences in this world. You know, you have your familiar experience in the home, the family. You also have the environmental. You also have education. You also have religion. You, also, you know, you have a lot of different mm -hmm. systems that influence a person's personality and their perception of the world. And so when you count, when you, when you put into account all these different things, man, you know, now you're thinking, this person has a lot of influence to create who they are. And so just by breakdown, right, 50 to 70% of our personality is given to us just by our genetics, right? Mm -hmm. Just by genetics. Thanks, mom and dad. Not to say that they can't be altered. Your personality can't be altered. But a lot of who we are are just given to us by our parents. We don't ask for it. It's just what's mm -hmm. given to us, right? And then the 30 to 50% that's left, that's environmental, that's education, that's social, that's, you know, that's all these other factors that play a role into creating our personality, which creates our own perception and um, our own perception and an interaction with the outside world. So as a man thinketh, right? As a man thinketh, so he becomes, so he becomes right? And so we have to now listen to some of the inner dialogue that are unhealthy and healthy to make sure that it's in tune with the direction that we'd like to go. So if I believe that I want to be X place in five years, then what are my thoughts telling me about what the direction is I have to go, right? If the thoughts are healthy, then I may want to, you know, stay in that route. If the thoughts are like doubting, then I may want to create more thoughts that are self-affirming to create that pathway towards that. If the thoughts are negative, now I have to reframe my thinking, which will then impact my emotions, which will then impact my actions towards whatever destination I'd like to get to. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. But let's say someone is sitting on a nail like the dog in the... In the cage. ...learned helplessness. Right. They're sitting on a nail and they just, like, why don't you just get up? Right. How do people find out that they're just sitting on a nail? Wow, yeah. So a, a couple of things, man. I, I think one of the things is self-awareness. And sometimes we may not be self-aware because all of us have blind spots. And so if we have people that are close to us, that care for us, that value us, then we have to believe that they may have our best interests in mind and we have to listen. You know, we have to pay attention to what people are saying to us, how they speak to us, how they address us, because sometimes without even saying anything, they're treating us how we allow them to treat us based on how we perceive, uh, you know, ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so if the treatment is healthy, then that's stating something about what's going on internally. If mm -hmm. some of the treatment some of the words, some of the actions, some of the emotions are negative, then we have to think about uh, what it is that we're communicating about the value, you know, in mm -hmm. ourselves mentally, emotionally, and physically. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And so, but it's also sometimes what people uh, may pull us up on, you know, like people may pull you up on something that you may not see. Like, hey man, I realize that sometimes when, you know, you, you interact with X, Y, and Z, you tend to lash out a little bit. What's mm -hmm. going on with that, you know? And not everyone knows how to do that. And I don't think that's everyone's responsibility as it relates to friendship, family member. I think that's your own responsibility. Yeah, to do it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we pass that buck over to other people because we think they're responsible or they have some obligation towards helping us maintain uh, an emotional and mental state that's healthy. And that's not fair. You know, I think that it's our own responsibility to be aware. And if we're not aware, to create awareness into those states to make sure that we are in tune with our mental, physical, and uh, mental, physical, and emotional state, you know, so that if they aren't necessarily where we would like for them to be, mm -hmm. then we got to create a pathway towards something else. And uh, if it starts to become problematic, you know, when it starts to impact you, uh, you know, in different areas that could, you know, hinder your growth or impact your health or impact you financially or impact you socially, or impact you uh, relationally, you know, impact you vocationally, educationally, for over an uh, extended period of time, that's when you need to ring the bell and go see a professional. Mm -hmm. One thing you mentioned was the self-image. You didn't quite say that, but you, you said that the way you see yourself, that mirror. Right. How does self-confidence, self-image correlate with the state of mental health? Self-confidence and self-image, you know. Um, so I work with a lot of people that are anxious, right? And um, I think anxiety is one of those things that could be inherited, right? And what I mean by that is that that may not have been where that person began, be began right? That may be something that maybe a parent, a teacher, uh, or another person instilled in that person by saying a particular thing to that person or not saying, or some type of interaction between that person and someone else that starts to change the way they think about themselves, which starts to change the way they feel about themselves, mm -hmm. will start to change the way how they interact with themselves. And so that self-image may not be just, you know, uh, organic and start starts internally. It could start from mm -hmm. external factors mm -hmm. that can create problematic uh, self uh, um, self-esteem, self. Um, you know, self-worth and so forth, you know? And so if a person uh, is dealing with a situation where they may not be aware of it, then um, that's their blind spot, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes, like I said, other people to pull you up on that mm -hmm. consciousness. Sometimes it takes for you to get fed up. Sometimes it takes for you to be in distress. Sometimes it takes conflict. Sometimes it takes, you know, just uh, sheer luck even, you know? for you to just be in the right place at the right time to hear something that may trigger you, be like, wait a minute, that's me. You know, the person's talking about me. I, I've been in this state for a very long time and I didn't even know I was dealing with this particular issue. What can I do about it? And now that we know, now we have to start creating pathways towards the change that we desire, you know? And like I tell my clients all the time, I could desire something for you, but if it's not what you want for yourself, then it's gonna be difficult mm -hmm. for us to get to that, you know, destination for you. It's not gonna happen. You gotta, you gotta want it for yourself. Yeah, you gotta want it, and you gotta start creating, you know, action towards whatever it is you desire. And that may be, you know, making sure that you come to therapy on time, mm -hmm. making sure that you come to therapy consistently, making sure that you do the homework as a sign, making sure that you follow up with other recommendations that are given. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's making sure you take a holistic approach to your mental, your emotional, and your physical health. I dig that, you know, the holistic approach. Tell us about how some other habits in your life can be affecting your mental health. And it's not just as far as the body, the, the relationships, the friendships, right. the finances. How does all of those correlate to Stress, affecting? right? Mm -hmm. Stress comes from, in, in many different packages, you know. Stress comes from relationships. Stress comes from finances. Stress comes from, you know, your educational pursuits. Stress comes from, you know, internal dialogue. Stress comes from, you know, external physical pressure, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, head and trauma as well, you know. It comes from a bunch of different areas and what stress does is stress causes, uh, you know, different hormones to be pumped into our system that causes us to function in a particular way that may not be healthy. Mm -hmm. And if these hormones are left in our system and access, one of those hormones is cortisol, by mm -hmm. the way, and adrenaline, you know, is another one. And so, if these hormones are left into the system, 
and 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 an exorbitant amount, then it starts to impact the physical body, right? Mm -hmm. And so so the the stress, which is something that's maybe emotional or mental, could impact the physical body, and then which could impact you know other areas of mm-hmm. uh, of our lives as well. So all of them are correlated. You know, one of the one of the um, presentations that I do is to show the correlation because for the most part, what we see is uh, the physical, right? I can see you right now, mm-hmm. right? But I don't know necessarily how you're feeling or what you're thinking, mm-hmm. right? Most of us, we present like everything's okay. We put on a mask, we get to work, you know, we go mm-hmm. to school, we in our relationships, but what's going on deeper, you know? And sometimes we have to peel back the layers to see other areas of that person's life that may be hidden by their mask that they don't necessarily show or speak about uh, that, are, that have been impacting them to be in the state that they're in, you know? And so we see the physical, right? But we don't necessarily see the mental and we don't necessarily see the emotional, right? And so, but all those three are interconnected. So as the physical is impacted, it will impact the emotional, right? Which will impact the uh, mental, right? And so if you got hit by a car, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not wishing that on you. Yeah. Let me say this. If I got hit by a car, right? I'd be like, ow, you know, that hurts, right? I'll be in pain. I'll be screaming, right? And so the physical is the, the, hit, the hit by the car. Now the emotional is I'm in pain. I can not necessarily feel it physically, but now emotionally I'm distressed, right? Hormones are pumping into my system. Now I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I just got hit by a car. Now my mind is going, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. All of them are connected, right? But what people don't see is it works the opposite way as well. You could have a death in a family which could be a mental, you know, accident, right? A, a mental accident, which causes you to start thinking, oh man, you know, I'm gonna miss this person. I'm really sad right now. I'm angry. I'm confused, you know, which could now impact your emotional state, right? Now you're crying, you know, you don't want to interact socially anymore. Mm-hmm. You're withdrawing. You're probably sleeping more, eating less or eating more and, and sleeping more. And so, and now, now it can impact, you know, now your behavior, you know? And so all of them are connected. And seeing that connection brings us back to the holistic, you know, holistic approach with the mental, the emotional, and the physical. All of them are intertwined. So as we take care of one, it helps the other. As you take care of your mental health, it's connected to your emotional health. And as you take care of your emotional health, it's connected to your physical health as well. Mm, That's interesting. The YPN panel, you had the other therapist hold a chain. Can you explain that There you go. Right, right, right. So that concept is exactly what I was talking about. If you think about a link chain, right? If you think about a link chain, uh, all of them are interconnected, right? And so if you pull away, right, they will pull one left or to the right, you know? And so if you have three links, you know, three things that are connected, if one falls, the other two will follow, right? And so if either one fall, right? But if two of them are, you know, are weighed, are weighed down, then that last one has no choice, right? And so if you think about the mental, emotional, and the physical states of individuals, that's how we're interconnected. If the physical and the mental are damaged, then the emotional will follow, you know? Or if the mental and emotional are damaged or in distress, then the physical will follow. You will start to see behaviors that are different. You'll start to see actions that are different. You'll start to see social interactions that are changed based on that person's mental and emotional state. And being that most of us, we focus on finances because that's one of the things that... It's all about the money, yeah, right? Yeah, because that's how we pay our bills, right? Right. Have you seen a correlation between... I mean, how have you seen the correlation between finances of people who are in charge of their financial destiny, like as far as those who have a entrepreneurship venture right. versus those who have a job that they hate? How does a person <laughs> who hate their job, how is their mental state... And how is the mental state of the person who's chasing their goals? I, I can't speak for all of them, right? I can't speak for all of them. I, I could just give you an example of when I was working, at, you know, in you know, in the private sector, you know, in the public sector as well, and then versus now that I'm in uh, an entrepreneur and working for myself. And so I've had jobs where, yes, you know, they brought about a lot of success, financial, you know, uh, independence and freedom and so forth. But the, the amount of emotional stress that I had to endure, I mean, it was horrible, you know? It, it was certain things that I just couldn't deal with. It was just so stressful. And it wasn't just my stress, it was the environmental stress from whatever the job requirements were that wasn't sitting well with me. Some people work great under pressure, under duress. 
that's not me. I need the environment to be, mm-hmm. you know, chill, calm, collected. And sometimes we can't control that if it's an environment that uh, is outside of our control. You know, if you're at a workspace at, let's say, uh, you know, a huge industry, private or public, you know, and there are other people that you have to work with and they're stressed out, which will cause, you know, them to stress out someone else. And it's a domino effect. And now it's impacting you. And as it impacts you, you have to, you sometimes take that stress and carry it out in other aspects of your life, in your personal life, in your, uh, you know, in your social life, in your spiritual life. It impacts all of it, right? On the other end of that, there's working for yourself and following the entrepreneurial dream, which carries out its own stress, right? You know, you have to make sure that you are in tune with whatever market you're in. You have mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, you're hustling, you're grinding, you're yeah. out there, you're getting your feet getting to the clients. floor, getting mm-hmm. clients, you know, Especially knocking on doors, you know, making sure people know your name and so forth and understand your businesses and so forth. And so that requires some type of, you know, uh, coping as it relates to stress as well. But there's the other side of that that creates uh, some freedom as it comes to your mental and emotional state. One of the things that uh, I think I benefit automatically was I felt wealthy as soon as I started working for myself. And that wealth came from creating my own schedule, being able to create pathways towards more time for my kids, more time for my family, more time for myself, more time for my wife, more time for my friends, you know, without having to check into a superior, which is fine if that's where you are, without having to check into a superior to say, hey, my daughter's not feeling well, could I go, you know, Mm-hmm. Could I go get my daughter from school? She just was throwing up. I just want to go and get my daughter. I don't want to have to check in, you know, and that provided a calm and a comfort for me to know that I had the capacity to do that now because I create my own schedule, you know, and, you know, to create special moments for my family. You know, if it's a performance at my daughter's school or if my kids are in a play, I can, you know, shut my office down and make sure that I'm there. You know, that creates a different type of emotional and mental mental state for me you know that creates more joy that creates more health and i feel i feel way more wealthy you know mm-hmm. and it's like i said it's not just about the finances the finances are another aspect of it but it's a, the freedom it's to freedom. be and to interact with my family and myself and my friends in a way that i, I may not have had um, working for someone else mm. the fact that you know that you you're creating not only your financial future but you're right. creating your future in general just how you want to live not just the financial the lifestyle. future it's the legacy too. Yeah, and you know? the legacy. And, and so one thing that's really great about being a, uh, an entrepreneur right now is that my kids had the opportunity to see me work for someone else, me work for someone else, and now me working for myself, being independent. And now at, at the tender age of six and seven, they get a chance to understand what an entrepreneur is, what a business is, uh, about advertising, marketing, you know, cre- you know and uh, creating products and so forth. I invite them into that process to start to formulate their mind, their mentality towards what it would be like to be independent versus working for someone else. Not to say that there's a, you know, you know I'm not knocking them to work, but I want them to have that option, basically. Yeah, that option, yeah. You like therapy, you know, not like, this is your passion. This, this is, is my love. passion. I love it, yeah. You love this. Yeah. But I have no passion. I have no specific goal or dream. Right. What do you tell that person, you know, as far as, you know, finding that thing or the importance of that? I mean, I I think about what brings me joy, you know, for me. And so from a very young age, I was always a person that was connected to, excuse me, assisting people. My dad was a servant leader, you know, he was in the church and even in our homes, uh, growing up in the Bahamas and then matriculating to uh, Miami, we lived in Opalaka. And even in our homes, as small as they were, we always, welcome people in our homes and and we did whatever we could to serve others and so that was instilled in me at a very young age service and so uh but being in serve being in serve in service doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be broke there's a correlation i think people think Mm -hmm. about that and so uh, i found a way to still serve but also provide you know financial benefit in what i do And, and i fell in love with psychology as i told you about way back in high school and so something that made sense for me organically like i don't feel like i'm working you know Mm -hmm. i don't feel like i'm working because every time i go to work and i see a client and i see them create some small pathway towards change that they desire man that that's that's enough currency for me Mm -hmm. i still gotta pay the bills right 
but that's enough to keep me going. And I remember when I started to get paid for it because I was an intern for, for quite some time. But when I started to get paid for it, I'm like, I'm getting paid to do what, you know? Yeah. Like, this is awesome. And so what I would tell a person is, find what brings you joy, you know? And it may not be something that's traditional, you know? And it may not always start off with this thing that brings you joy will pay the bills right away. So you may still want to be attached to something that can provide a financial benefit to you. And then as you increase, uh, as you uh, grow and, and, and your sphere of influence grow and that thing that brings you joy, and you can monetize that, then you can start pulling away. But don't pull away right away and, and drop everything and be like, you know what, forget it. I'm going to be a dancer today, you know? Mm -hmm. You, you know, because sometimes it doesn't work like that. There's a lot of back, back um, you know, um, there's a lot of background work that's being done. You know, uh, you know, star isn't born overnight. Mm -hmm. There's at least seven to ten years of work that have been done in the back where no one gets, you know, no one actually saw, no applause was being given, you know, where the hard labor was being done. And now you come to a space where you can, you know, impact, you know, uh, you know, thousands of people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people eventually. And so it takes a while, you know, so be patient, uh, you know, explore a variety of things that brings you joy and find that area where you feel like if you do this one thing or if you do these things. And another thing, it doesn't have to be one thing, you mm -hmm. know. I think people limit themselves like it has to be this. Yeah, right? this is what I do. You know? I, I believe in a mission. <laughs> right. And so, uh, you know, my, my joy is mental health, but mental health covers a variety of areas, you know. And I hope we get a chance to talk about some of those different areas that I do work in and mm -hmm. some of the things that I am doing outside of just being a therapist, mm -hmm. you know. But I think that you can create pathways towards, you know, um, that freedom by exploring a, a, a variety of things, you know? Don't just settle on one thing and being s stuck and saying, this, this will be that thing that allows me to work for myself or be independent, you know? Explore, you know, and, and, and fail, you know? Fail, fail again, you know, and, and fail some more, you know? Failure tells me that you're actually in the game versus being on the sideline and never getting in the game and failing at all, you know? There's a, there, there are a lot of lessons to be learned and our failures, you know, and if you don't take the opportunity to get in the game to fail, you never know, you know. As I, I experience success, I always have to look back at all of my failures and I'm, I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for all of them because those failures created a pathway towards the success that I'm having right now, even my future success. Mm -hmm. and, and you're succeeding in a lot of things, a lot of ventures. You got Sober Words, Beachstone Counseling, you're going around. You're really the activist for mental health in our community, I call oh, it. Oh, man, yeah. Mental health activist. Right. You know, I said that there was a movement with Martin Luther King within the black community with right. civil rights, um, and that was a major movement. Before then, we had, we had um, uh, Harriet Tubman yeah, was Harry. leading the Underground Railroad, uh -huh. freeing the slaves, physical slavery. Then you had systemat uh, systematical slavery with, with the era of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And then now, I feel like we ha we're in a mental... We're we're trying to get away from mental slavery, right? And this right. is the, this is the era of enlightenment, and right. this is actually whenever I believe that one of the most noble things you can do today right. is to what you said before want to help somebody's life get better. Right. What are some of the ventures that you're currently doing right now to help people do that? Right. So, outside of my private practice, where I see individuals, I see couples, I see families. Like I said, I specialize in blackmail issues but also uh, cater to entertainers and athletes at my practice as well. Uh, I, I created a business called Sober Words, which fights stigma associated with substance use. And this is very uh, non-traditional because there aren't a lot of businesses that fight stigma. You know, there are a lot of nonprofits, but I wanted to make sure that this is something that could self-sustain because I do like to give back, but I want to make sure that uh, I do have the means to give back and creating a nonprofit, which I did before, was very helpful, but it also left my pockets drained, you know? Mm -hmm. I want to be able to create something that could be self-sustained so that when I do have, where opportunities do present themselves where I can assist, I can do it on my own dime, and, you know? And I think that means something to me. So Sober Words is a business where, like I said, we fight stigma. Mm -hmm. Our motto is sending love and shedding light. Two things that are very simple. Sending love, we want to make sure that any person that is suffering had suffered family members that are suffering from substance use because substance use is a family disease. Mm -hmm. You know, if it impacts the individual, it impacts the system that's around that individual. We want to make sure that we're standing in solidarity with them. Similar to when people wear pink, 
uh, for breast cancer, similar to the Live Strong campaign from Lance Armstrong, we want to make sure that when people see this symbol, it's a symbol of hope, it's a symbol of strength, it's a symbol of resilience, and that they know that they're not alone. I think a lot of times what happened in the past was that this was a, such a taboo topic that it, it allowed them to close the door, meaning a lot of it was anonymous, you know, and mm -hmm. no one wanted to shed a light on it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, which perpetuated some stigmas in my belief. And, you know, stigmas are not just perceptions, but it's also action towards a particular population, you know. We don't just perceive them in a particular light, but we interact with them in a particular way that's very unhealthy, which prevents them from actually going to get help. If I feel like I'm going to get in trouble, if I feel like someone's going to look at me differently, then I'm not going to say I have an issue. I'm going to hide this issue, and eventually what could potentially happen is that I can overdose, I can die, I can hurt someone else, you know, I can hurt myself, I can damage my finances, my relationships, my workspace, and so forth. And so to create a pathway towards treatment, we have to fight stigma. And so that's the sending love portion. The, sen the shedding light portion is making sure that we, s we shed the appropriate light. You know, that's mm -hmm. education where people need to learn more about individuals that suffer from substance use. These are our mothers. These are our sisters. These are our fathers, our uncles, our brothers, our nephew. No one's immune to it. You know, there are a variety of reasons that, that would allow someone to be more likely to be an addict versus, you know, uh, versus just being a regular individual that doesn't have an issue with that. There are a collective amount of issues. It could be, it could be uh, genetics, it could be social, it could be emotional, it could be trauma, it could be medical. People start off with back pain, they start taking pills, and, and taking those pills, they could you know, realize that, man, you know, these pills make me feel a particular way, and when I was on these pills, I didn't think about this event that happened in my life, and now this is my means of escape, and so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to now use these pills to escape whatever I'm dealing with emotionally or mentally. So there's a variety of pathways that leads towards substance use. And I want to make sure that we have conversations, like I said, in our homes, in our workspaces, at schools, wherever we can about substance use. And so I'll give you an example. We had just a few weeks ago, we had a campaign called Sober City where we were highlighting various cities in South Florida. Uh, and we do photo shoots in those cities to highlight the cities where you can represent your city but also fight stigma. And so my colleague and I, uh, you know, a partner and I, his name is Samuel Blanchard, we were wearing the shirts at Publix because we were purchasing some products for the shoot. And we were at the cashier and the cashier so saw our shirt that said Sober North Miami and Sober Opalaka. And automatically she wanted to find out more about what our shirts was, you know, represented. And so she was like, tell me more about your shirt. And as we started to tell her, she started telling us about her, you know, her family history and her uh, issues with substance use. She was like, yeah, X, Y, and Z, this happened to my brother, my, you know, my cousin and so forth. She felt safe enough to have a conversation with strangers. Just with the shirt. Just with the shirt. And so there's safety and an image that we can create a pathway towards people not being stigmatized and being able to speak up about the issue to get more help. That's what Soul Wars is about, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, we want to create a grassroots uh, type of campaign where people can just organically join. I know there's not a movement for everyone, mm -hmm. but I want people to feel empowered enough to know that they're not just making a difference for this generation, but my mind is that I want to be the change that my kids deserve, and so it has to start with me. It has to start with me, so this is my role in changing the trajectory of the future of my kids. I want them to be safe whatever happens, you know, and so that's, you know, sober words. But then there's also, uh, I have a, a joy in talking about hip hop and therapy as well, you know. That brings me a lot of pleasure to talk about hip hop and therapy because those two things does, you know, don't really sound like they should correlate because it's hip hop, you know, it's more hardcore, sometimes raunchy, sometimes explicit, sometimes, you know, very, um, you know, gangster even, you know. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there uh, have been conversations and then the lyrics that have been misunderstood or not even acknowledged where there have been artists that have been speaking about their mental health issues for years. The question is for me, were we actually listening? Are we actually listening to these individuals as they address their mental health Within issues songs. on wax? You know? And so like I said, I can go back 10 years, 20 years and trace artists that have been very vocal about their mental and emotional state and no one, you know, they just hear the beat and like, yeah, just this is a tight song. It. I mean, how does that impact our very own well-being listening to 
Isn't that traumatic for us? In some instances, yes. In most instances, no, because I don't think a lot of us actually listen to music as we should be listening to music. It's not just about the beat, but it's about the sometimes the emotional and the mental uh, state of that individual as they wrote that song. You know, one of those songs that I highlighted on my um, hip hop and therapy page is a song from Ghetto Boys, My Mind is Playing Tricks on Me, which is an old song, over 20 years old. Mm -hmm. But listen to the name of the title. My mind is playing, is playing tricks on me. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn. Candlesticks in the dark. It's like my body being burned. Four walls closing in, getting bigger. I'm paranoid, sleeping with my finger on the trigger. Listen to what this person's saying. You know? mm -hmm. This person is saying, look, man, sometimes my mind isn't right. And the question is, what are some of those things that has caused this individual to not have a right frame of mind? And now you have to dig a little bit deeper. A lot of the members of Ghetto Boys, they grew up in, you know, uh, in urban areas, you know, in areas where there was a lot of community violence, probably, you know, in areas where there's a lot of uh, environmental issues, you know, uh, you know, gun violence, even police violence, even, you know, a lot of things was going on that could impact a person to feel like they're unsafe to create a state of paranoia, to create a state of even post-traumatic stress, even, you know, and you can hear these things in lyrics from 20 years ago, 10 years ago, to even this year. You know, there are people still talking about, Meek Mills came out with an album, you know, it has a song on there called Trauma, mm -hmm. you know, called Trauma that speaks about the traumatic experiences he's had growing up and that he's witnessed a lot of his peers that grew up in uh, Philly that have dealt with traumatic issues, you know, and so uh, we don't actually listen and give voice to what goes on in, the, in their mental and emotional state that cause that can correlate towards some of the behaviors that we see and some of the artists that we see, some of the athletes that we see, some of the entertainers that we see. We just see them as they present and we think everything is good with them. But no, you know, all of them, some of them, not all of them, a lot of them may have underlying issues that relates to their mental and emotional state that we don't get a chance to talk about, you know. And so I, I, I say listen more, you know, and, and talk less, you know. Listen more and talk less because the more we listen, the more we gain understanding, the more we gain understanding the more we can uh, decrease the anxiety between what we actually perceive and what reality is. And listen more, talk less, not just in the us talking now, but within your own mind. Listen yes. to yourself more, yeah. listen to outside more, talk yeah. less in your head, right. and be able to, you know, circumpass yeah. the yeah. tricks that your mind is playing on you. Yeah. So yeah. let's say my name is Jack, and mm -hmm. I am abusing a substance right, right now. I am very anxious about what the future holds for financial. Right. Jack is going through it. His body doesn't feel right the other day. He's tired, sluggish. Things right. isn't is not working properly for him. Right. Uh, he's feeling like his life is at a point where he doesn't really know what's going to happen, and he doesn't know if he can can continue any longer. Right. Um, he's going through some mental anguish and pain. Right. What do you tell Jack? Wow. So before I could even have a conversation with Jack, there are assessments that need to happen, you know? Like, I, we, we hear, uh, you know. Jack is on the bus, what do you tell him? Jack is on the bus, he's not my client, I can't. You're not even a <laughs> therapist right now. You're so just, you're, for, you, you, this question is hypothetical? For, for anyone, right? Yeah, for, for anyone. anyone. Okay, I so I, really I wanna make know. sure that Jack first knows that I care about him, mm -hmm. you know? And that whatever I say to Jack is coming from a place of love and compassion. Mm -hmm and that I'm not stigmatizing him, and that I'm speaking to Jack on Jack's terms. I'm not speaking to Jack in a space where I can embarrass him, uh, make him feel less than, or anything like that. I wanna make sure Jack knows that I got his back. And then I present to Jack what my concerns are. Hey Jack, I'm concerned about your health, man. I haven't seen you X, Y, and Z. Tell me, is everything okay? You know. And then Jack, if he tells me no, uh, I've been going through whatever, I'm like, Jack, you know what? I may not have gone through that, but I want to make sure that you can get the help that you need. Um, have you considered speaking to a professional? And Jack would be like, no, I don't necessarily think I want to speak to a professional right now. And then I could provide different resources for Jack. Hey, Jack, you know what? Here's a couple numbers locally that you can call. Here's some mental professionals. If you need me to even go with you, I can do that. You know, but just in case you want more material, here's a couple books that I can recommend. Here's a couple websites that I can recommend. Please, Jack, give me a call if you want to talk more. We could do that over coffee. We could do that, you know, at your apartment. We could do that, you know, wherever you feel comfortable. But I just want you to know that I'm concerned about you. And I have noticed a decline in your health. 
you know, and I'm here for you if you need me. Right. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. What would be your final message to someone watching to tell them, hey, chase your unlimited power? Oh, man. What would be my final message? I want to make sure that people know uh, chasing their unlimited power starts with uh, their own self-awareness, you know, their own self-awareness. And that self-awareness comes from understanding where they are. And that understanding has to also accom be accompanied with the acceptance, right? And so exactly where you are, you have to accept where you are because where you are, exactly where you are, you have value. And that's very, very important to understand. And so the understanding and awareness, the acceptance, but also um, the, um, what's the last word I'm looking for? The, the, the encouragement for the change that you desire, you know? So if you see where you are, right, you understand it, you accept it, but you also have to encourage yourself to be able to step up to the plate when you do see a desired change. And so those three things, man, you could definitely unlock your ultimate unlimited Potential. power. Unlimited. unlimited power, unlimited potential. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, Ed. Thanks Thank for having for me. Thank you for impacting our community. Oh, man. My pleasure. That's what I'm here for. Got to play. Thank you for tuning into the Unlimited Power Show. Now, if this hasn't helped you grow, which I believe it has, even if you don't know it yet, I'd like for you to check us out online at Unlimited Power Show on Instagram. Be sure to contact us if you'd have a specific topic, subject you'd like to see, if you'd have to recommend yourself or someone to be on the show, you can also do that if you go ahead and click that link in our bio. With all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of Unlimited Power. Remember, you have the unlimited power in you to achieve whatever it is that you want. But until you believe that, the world will forever miss all your talents, all your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. So remember, let your light shine. Don't hide it. Don't dim it. Peace.